0: You would turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You also see the passage printed in your worship guide. We're going to look at the first 15 verses of this chapter this morning. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ." For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in these next few moments, would you do a work in our hearts. Enable us to pay attention to your words. To hear and recognize your voice. May we come away from here changed and conformed to the image of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, you see in your worship guide, the title of our message today is Divine Jealousy, which may seem like a very strange concept. We normally think of jealousy as a negative, harmful emotion that wreaks havoc in relationships. You know, envying envying someone else for their success or something that they have that you wish you had. We all know this feeling. We've seen it in others, and if we're honest, we see it in ourselves from time to time. Indeed, in Scripture, we find jealousy appearing in a number of lists of sinful behavior that we're to avoid, like selfish ambition. However, in our passage this morning, we see Paul expressing a positive, even godly kind of jealousy for the Corinthian church. We may may ask the question, well, what does that look like? What does godly jealousy look like? Well, throughout the letter, Paul has been dealing with opposition to his apostleship and his ministry, and here he resorts to what he calls foolishness for the sake of the Corinthians. Now, the form of foolishness he's talking about here, if we read the rest of the chapter, is his listing out of his credentials even boasting in them, he says. All of this may sound strange to us coming off the heels of chapter 10 and verse 18 where it says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. But in many ways, Paul has been forced to defend himself in this manner because his opponents were elevating themselves and they were taking shots at his enemies credentials, even cheap shots, uh, calling to attention his appearance. Paul is very aware that it might come across wrongly to them, so he asks them to bear with him in this foolishness. So why does Paul do this? Point one on your outline, the reason for Paul's foolishness. We're going to spend most of our time on this first point. He feels a divine jealousy for them. The text literally reads, I am jealous over you with the jealousy of God. That's a pretty powerful statement on a number of levels. It reminds us that God has revealed himself as a jealous God. Maybe that's something we don't think about very often, or what even that means. But if you look in the Old Testament, where it's prominent where he reveals himself in that way. You see that it's in the context of idolatry. and He calls himself a jealous God. How can a holy God be jealous and that be a good thing? Maybe you're asking that question. Well, hold that thought. In, chat, in verse 2, the second half of verse 2, Paul fleshes things out a bit more. He says, Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now, he sees himself as like the father of the bride, the Corinthians, whom he has given in marriage to Christ. Now, think for a moment. Parents, in general, think of your relationship with your children, and maybe even more specifically, in light of this text, Fathers, think of your daughters, those of you who have daughters. Let me ask you this question. What emotions rise up in you when you consider future boyfriends or future husbands for your daughter? might not be a good emotion, (laughs) but I don't know what you want to call it, but there's something that rises up in you, doesn't it? Why? Because there's potential that there's someone out there who might harm your daughter, take advantage of her, abuse her in some way. Though we are sinful, we rightfully feel a jealousy for our daughters in that case. Because we want to Protect. We want to guard them from harm. See, that's a rightful kind of jealousy that's concerned for the well being of your daughter. It's because you love her. That's why you feel that way. Now, Paul's motive here, as one commentator puts it, is not wounded pride or envy or even turf protection but a loving jealousy for the Corinthian church. While the opponents of his ministry want to exploit the Corinthians, Paul wants to protect them and keep them for the ultimate blessing, which is communion with Jesus Christ, to be consummated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, this divine jealousy that Paul feels is a good thing because it's rooted in divine love. Now think for a moment. When was the last time that you considered that God is jealous for you as your heavenly father? Why would he feel that way? It's because he loves you. It's because he loves you so dearly. Again, think with me, he doesn't need anything you have, ever. In his free, good pleasure, he desires to love you. That should take our breath away. As unlovable as we are, we all feel that, don't we? He wants to love us, and he does love us. In fact, there's no length that he won't go to to show that love for you. Remember the father-daughter illustration. And if we who are sinful feel that way towards our daughters, how much more does a holy God love and desire to protect and care for his children? These aren't just wishful words. This is what God has told us clearly in his scripture. God sent his son out of a heart of love to save sinners. And what length did he go to to demonstrate that love? We just sang about it. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, suffering the wrath of God in our place. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Scripture also tells us that nothing in all of creation can separate us from that love. Ephesians 3 tells us that the dimensions of of this love. How great and big is this love? It mentions these, uh, the height and depth. It surpasses knowledge. It's beyond what you can even comprehend. You know, when we come across passages like this or, or others that are similar, we are prone to think, you know, why, why does Paul get so riled up here? You know, why does he take things so seriously? He seems like he's such a stickler with the Corinthians, for example. Have you ever thought about that concerning God when you read the scriptures? Why is he such a stickler? Why does he get so riled up over things? Why does he take things so seriously? It's because he loves so much. He loves you so much. And I think maybe the reason we don't take matters as seriously is because we love so little in return. Be encouraged as a believer in Jesus Christ. God is not out to get you. He's not out to get you. He wants to keep you and protect you from going after things that will destroy you, that will harm you. He is jealous for you to enjoy him forever. That's the love of our great God. Now in Corinth, Paul was concerned because they were in danger. They were in danger of being led astray. We see this in verses three and four. He says, just like the serpent deceived Eve, so they were in danger of having their thoughts led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. How were they tempted to be led astray? In verse four, he lists three things. They were tempted to follow a different Jesus. They were tempted to receive a different gospel. And they were tempted to receive a different spirit. And by the way, we understand what that means a little bit better, a different spirit. If you look over at 1 John chapter 4, uh, where he calls believers to test the spirits. And one of the distinguishing marks of a different spirit is belief in a different Christ. They're very much tied together. Now stepping back for a moment, it might be profitable to consider the teaching we listen to. The teaching about Christ and the teaching about spiritual matters that we hear. Sinclair Ferguson provides a good test for us to help us to discern what we're hearing and where it's coming from. And he gives us two questions to consider. First, does the teaching lead to a pure devotion to Christ? Or does it lead to something else? That's one test question. Another would be, what do they say about Christ? And what don't they say about Christ? A lot of teaching comes, comes at us emphasizing certain truths about Christ, but to the neglect of other things that are equally important, leaving us with a distorted Christ. So those are some helpful questions to consider as you hear teaching. But what about us? What about where we're at? How are we tempted to be led astray in similar ways? Well, maybe it's not a particular false teacher or super apostle, as in the case with the Corinthians. But we have temptations of having false notions of the gospel let me give you a few examples God doesn't really love me or God couldn't really love someone like me another example I need to pay God back for my past sins now with each of these examples we may not verbalize these outwardly but we think them. Another one. Oh, I know, I know I've been saved by grace. My past is taken care of. But it's up to me to earn my keep from this point on. Those are all false gospels, those are all distorted thoughts and notions about what God has revealed. Maybe it's maybe we're tempted to be led astray by seeing Christ as a nice addition to our lives, but not our life. We go to him when we need things, but he largely remains in the margins of our lives. It reminds me of a, a quote from the late Jerry Bridges. Uh, I heard him give a talk here in Columbia a number of years ago. And this really stuck with me. He said, you don't really understand the gospel until you are desperate for the gospel. A marginal Christ is treating him as a different Christ. Christ. one who is not Lord over all of life or over all of your life. Or maybe we're led astray by the age-old temptation to think you can tolerate and manage sin in your life without it doing any harm. That's a common one. Paul says the Corinthians readily put up with these things, these falsities. Are you putting up with things that are false? What is it that's leading you astray from a pure devotion to Christ? The question's not Is Christ devoted to us? He's made that very clear. Even before the foundation of the world, the scriptures tell us. The question is, are we devoted to him? Paul goes on to point out that he not only has a divine, loving jealousy for the Corinthians, he has actually demonstrated this love in a very tangible way. Point two on your outline. The defense of Paul's ministry. Verses five through 11. He addresses their criticism. Those of the false apostles. He says that even if he's unskilled in speaking, he is not so in knowledge. He has insight into the mystery of the gospel. God has given him that insight, that spiritual knowledge. Now apparently these super apostles, which later he calls false apostles, they were pointing out that Paul was not supported by the Corinthian church. And he had to be supported by others. And they saw this as a sign of weakness, a sign of illegitimacy as an apostle. And they saw this as a lack of love on Paul's part for the Corinthians. Because they weren't accepting, he he wasn't accepting their money. They saw that as a sign of a a lack of love on Paul's part. So Paul addresses this also by raising the question in verse 7. Did I commit a sin by humbling myself? Because I preached God's gospel to you without charge. In Acts 18, we read about Paul being a tent maker during his visit to Corinth. And this is something that the Greeks at that time would have seen as degrading or demeaning for a teacher, a philosopher to do. But in verse 9, he tells them he freely chose not to burden them in any way by charging them or accepting their money. What his opponents said was a lack of love was actually a demonstration of love. Now, the super apostles not only lacked this kind of love for the Corinthians, but there was something even more sinister lurking under the surface. Point three in your outline. Paul unmasks his opponents. Verses 12 through 15. They were claiming to to work on the same terms as Paul and his colleagues. Paul exposes them for what they really are. They're not just excellent speakers. They're not just entertainers, able to draw crowds because of their charismatic personalities. He says they're false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says, and it's no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In essence, he says, they're servants of Satan. Now that might be one of those statements you think He's overdoing it. He's getting riled up. He loves them. He's jealous for them. These apostles were servants of Satan, though they had no horns, tail, or pitchfork. Here's the difference in terms of jealousy. The false apostles were jealous of Paul for the church. But Paul was jealous of the church for Christ. You see, they wanted the church for themselves, for their own gain. But Paul wanted the church to be devoted to Christ for their gain. Now this last part of this passage serves as a good reminder to us. that Satan's attacks are rarely obvious, nor are they frontal attacks. They are deceptive and subversive, often using counterfeit forms of the truth, having the appearance of light. In this case, the attacks came through teachers and preachers in the church, Those who were perhaps saying, Lord, Lord, were teaching and doing all these things in your name, but they were actually opposing Jesus. How should we respond to this? This may come across as pretty obvious, but in practice, it's not so obvious. Be in the word daily. How do we know falsehood? How do we detect it when we see it, when we hear it? It's by knowing the truth. Pray for discernment. To be able to see to the root of things. As Paul does here with these false teachers. We might also ask another question in light of Paul's unmasking of these false apostles. It's appropriate for us to ask ourselves, am I for real? Or am I all talk? Is my devotion to Christ for real? Now wherever you find yourself today in light of that question, I want to encourage you. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. He is gentle and lowly of heart. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And you'll find rest for your souls. His jealous love for you will never fail. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're a jealous God. That you are jealous for us not to destroy ourselves, not to harm ourselves or be harmed by others you desire us to be kept for you, kept for Christ, with a pure devotion. That's our greatest blessing, is to be yours. Lord, help us in our devotion to Christ. Grow us in our faith. Help us to deal with sins that you may have surfaced in our hearts today. Help us to respond appropriately. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.